Well, good morning. morning. Happy Halloween. Glad you're all here. Great to see you. So, um, I actually haven't done a Sunday Dharma talk for a little while. Uh, Back when um, we first reopened, uh, I did a few Dharma talks, uh, which was great because I had an opportunity to uh, talk about the building and the reopening and uh, moving back in and technology and all of this stuff that was going on, uh, which which was great. Um, and also I was able to talk a little bit about um, sort of how our practice uh, can uh, help us uh, with uh, these kinds of changes, how we can see these changes as practice. Um, but then, uh, due to the luck of the draw, I haven't had a Sunday Dharma talk for a while. So I thought today I would take this opportunity to kind of return to that subject of uh, reopening the building, etc. Because I have some useful information to impart and I'd like to continue to comment a little bit on what this situation is like in terms of our practice. All of these changes. And I've talked to so many people about the changes of the past year and a half, two years, and how vital their practice has uh, been to them with respect to that. So um, we've been open uh, for about two and a half months now. Uh, We were closed uh, during the worst part of COVID. We had our building renovations, uh, which took place uh, during that time. As uh, most of you are, you know, you're very well aware of that, but we probably have some folks who are joining us for the first time today, so I offer that explanation. And um, I'm here in the building a lot, and I have been for three or four months now, and you might think I would start settling in and would start seeming routine to have the new building and the open building, but it is not at all routine. Every day when I walk up here, you know, I see the dazzling white of the building where it used to be gray. And it just kind of, it just kind of amazes me. And it's new to me. And I walk into this Zendo and I see the light, the lightness of it all. And that kind of amazes me. So I feel like I'm, you know, maintaining beginner's mind here. And it's going to be a long time before uh, this starts feeling routine again. And hopefully it will never feel uh, routine. Uh, also, people uh, keep, um, you know, showing up for the first time. They haven't been back in a while, and I get to give them a tour, and I get to see the building anew through their eyes, uh, which is really, uh, which is really wonderful. So we have beginner's mind. We have constant change. We have sangha. We have refuge. It's all here. It's all going on. So I'm calling this talk 19 Things About Our Practice Place because that's how many I came up with, 19. So where should I start? What should be number one on the list? Well, this being Buddhism, I'm going to start in the middle. I'm going to start with the middle way room, which is this room right over here, which if you came into the Zendo this morning, which I guess you all did, come to think of it, um, you probably came in through, uh, through that room. And my question is, when you came through that room, did you notice it? Did you notice where you were? Or were you anticipating your arrival in the Zendo 
and kind of breezing through that room. And that's really the point of thing number one. Paying attention in places that might ordinarily seem to be between places, not so important in their own right. So that room originally was the Founders Hall, and Category's altar was right over there. That was an exterior wall, and his wall was or his altar was where the opening is now. And it was overflow seating for retreats and on Sunday mornings. And now that the building has been renovated, it's become kind of a corridor uh, leading to the Zendo, and it has multiple uses. And in fact, there's a sign on it that says multi-purpose room. And that was kind of our working title for that room uh, while we had construction. And um, so it's a corridor. There's also this beautiful arch in there that uh, Killian made from the tree, which stood right over here. And so it's kind of a uh, place that welcomes us into the Zendo. It's a place where we store things. We have chairs in there. We store this platform in there when we're not using it and a few other items. During formal retreats, it's going to be our Oryoki staging area. It could be a place where we could have meetings or dokusan. Uh, so it's a room that has really multiple uses. And some of them seem a bit mundane, a bit pedestrian. And it would be easy to think of that room as just kind of a catch-all room uh, that's kind of between the other places that matter. But of course, nothing is just between other places. Everything matters in itself. And nothing is really multi-purpose. Everything is just one thing at a time. And that's why we've changed its name from the multi-purpose room to the middle way room. And maybe we can get a new sign for it, we'll see. Uh, so that's because it's in the middle of the building now, uh, in the middle of the first floor, now that we've added on this new Zendo. And also because it's in the middle in terms of how we use it. Uh, it's partially just functional, you could say part of the world of form, we store things there, etc. And it's partially ceremonial. You could say the world of emptiness. It's for oryoki and uh, lecture attendance. And we could have dokusan there. So it's nearly, it's neither purely functional or purely ceremonial. It's in the middle. That doesn't mean it has to be a place that's kind of unfocused and kind of uh, confusing. It can be a place where these two things come together. It can be a place where we're aware of the ceremonial and aware of the seemingly mundane and hold those things at the same time and see the difference between those things kind of disappear. We can undertake these mundane activities in a ceremonial way. When we're in there getting the chairs to reset the zendo on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning, we can be thinking about, is there a difference between, you know, sacred activity and this functional activity? So maybe if we refer to it as the middle way room, uh, we'll remember that it's important no matter what its use is. And so please, when you pass through that room, uh, notice where you are. Don't uh, hurry through it as if it's a mere way to get to somewhere else. 
Because if we're truly doing mindfulness practice, if we're going to be present and mindful, we can't have gaps. We need to be there for everything. Every little thing. My apologies, Ted. That's okay. That's okay. We're there for that. Um, yeah, so we can't have gaps. We need to be there for everything. That's why we have altars outside of our bathrooms, which I've always thought is kind of a weird thing. But I, nobody's ever explained the reason to me, but I think it's pretty obvious. The bathroom is a place you tend to think of as, you know, pretty mundane activity, not very important. Something you do that's between other stuff, it's not special. But if we stop and bow before we use the bathroom and after we use the bathroom, it's a reminder that even this, even this part of our day is important and we should pay attention. We're not going to hurry past it. We're going to be here. So it's in those tiny, seemingly insignificant moments uh, when we can really make that effort to be just here and that will really help our practice. So that was thing one. The second thing on my list is reflections. Uh, you know, there are so many uh, surprises when you renovate a building. You can't know in advance what's going to happen, what it's going to be like. For instance, you can't know in advance what the acoustics will be like, but you show up and you find out what they're like. And I think they're pretty good in this Zendo, which is a pretty happy thing. Um, another example of something that was unexpectedly wonderful is this little uh, back deck here that uh, leads from the uh, Zendo emergency exit into the backyard. I never really noticed that much in the plans, and I thought of it as just, well, that's a way to get from the Zendo to the backdoor area. But as it turns out, it's a really beautiful place to hang out and kind of look over at the backyard, and it's where we set up our tea on Sundays, and it's been just really functional and really nice. And just a real, um, a kind of a, kind of a surprise. And we'll be doing that today, by the way. We'll be having our snacks out there, our tea and our coffee. I hope you dressed warm, because that's what we have to do because of our mask requirement. But another surprising thing has been the reflections. And I'm talking about reflections in uh, the windows. Uh, when I do walking meditation here early in the morning, I'll be facing this way toward the east. And in the large window there, I can see uh, oftentimes the reflection of the lake. And I can see a reflection in there right now. I can see the sky above the lake reflected. If I were to stand up, I think I would be able to see uh, the lake itself. And I think that's really nice uh, because it makes that inside-outside connection that I've talked about before. And it brings the lake in in a new way. It's sort of like it's surrounding us. Yes, it's over there, but we can also see it over here. And so it kind of undermines our ideas about separateness. We can kind of relax our attention and just let the lake be everywhere, to be all around us. And one morning, I was here very early, it was a Friday morning, It was. Uh, it's still dark out. I was meeting my friend uh, Inryu from Washington, D.C. Uh, she's spoken here before. Some of you know her. And I was walking in the hall next to the stairs, the old stairs out here, facing toward the east. And you know, we have a door back there. 
uh, that leads onto the backyard. And it used to be kind of this lattice door you couldn't really see through. But it's been replaced by this door with clear glass in it. And I was walking toward that, looking out sort of into the darkness, not really paying attention. And I saw out there what I thought was my reflection. But then as I walked toward it, my reflection bowed to me. It was really weird. And it wasn't my reflection. It was in you coming that way. And so I bowed back, and it was really nice. There's another barrier of perceived separateness just obliterated, right? We were joined together uh, in that moment. So reflections are really nice. We can just uh, relax our minds and relax our attention and simply merge with things. They can help us with that. Number three, not all of us are here in the building. Uh, if you're not here, uh, I hope you still find this talk useful. Uh, folks on Zoom, I hope it helps you to imagine this space, even as you're practicing at home in your own space. I hope you feel close to us. And um, you don't have the feeling that about half the Sangha has, has come here since we reopened at least once. Uh, some of you are coming very, very regularly. Maybe a quarter of the Sangha has not returned yet because it doesn't feel right yet given COVID, uh, given COVID which uh, makes uh, perfect sense. Hopefully that will change fairly soon. And maybe another quarter of the Sangha is probably going to continue to practice um, online, either because you live far away or you may live lo here locally, but it just works better for you to practice uh, remotely like that. And as I've said many times, we hope to accommodate uh, everyone, uh, regardless of the amount of time um, that they can spend here. And um, we don't know for sure what form that's going to take in the long run. As you know, we've done a lot of experimenting. We've practiced, uh, we've tried a lot of different things. We've got the hybrid thing down pretty well now, but we still have things uh, to work on. Um, and we're going to continue to do some experimenting. Uh, for instance, our next retreat is going to be a one-day retreat, and that happens in about two weeks. It's on Saturday, November 13th. I'll be leading that one, and it'll be a hybrid retreat, so I'll be here present in the Zendo along with others, and there'll also be folks on Zoom participating. And I think given our past experience, that's going to work very well. It'll be a hybrid treat, retreat, all practicing together. So I think it'll be good, and I hope you'll sign up. It'd be great to have a large number of people to do that. Now, lunch that day is going to be a bit of an issue. Because, given our mask requirement, we can't eat uh, here in the building. Uh, so what we're going to do is, we're going to give people an hour break for lunch. And you have several choices. You can, you can bring your lunch, you can take it outside and eat it there. Um, I don't know how cold it will be, it could be pretty cold. But you could spend, you know, be outside just long enough to eat your lunch. Or if you live nearby, you can go home for lunch. Or you can go to a restaurant if that's something you feel comfortable uh, doing. And I think that'll work pretty well for a one-day retreat. That's just one meal. But for Rohatsu, which is our week-long annual retreat, starts November 28th, goes into the first week of December, 
It would be impossible to do that here in the Zendo uh, because we have our mask requirement. We can't serve 20 meals outside that time of the year. So we've made the decision, as you probably heard, that Rohatsu is going to be an all-Zoom event this year. Uh, ben and I are going to lead it, and we're going to explore further the idea of what it's like to do uh, retreat in your home. We're really going to turn this into a positive. We're not going to try to duplicate the monastic experience at home. We're going to do a kind of new kind of retreat that we've been developing, where you have a retreat, but you are at home. And so you explore questions of, well, what, it's like, what is it like to be here? What is it like to interact with my family or my pets or my living uh, situation? And then in the new year, this is not decided yet, but it's something I'm thinking about, we may experiment with some parallel retreats. Maybe in January for that three-day retreat, uh, maybe we'll have a three-day all-Zoom retreat, and a week later we'll have a three-day in the Zendo retreat. So instead of everyone practicing together in a hybrid way, we'll have kind of these two, these two separate retreats and see how that works. Will it work? I don't know. Will we feel like we've been unnecessarily separated? Or will we feel like it makes each retreat uh, something that could really be itself? I don't know, but uh, I think we'll, um, we'll keep working on this. We'll keep experimenting. So that's number three. Number four, the hybrid model is working very well for meditation. And in the morning, when we have our um, sittings here Monday through Thursday, very early in the morning, um, at about 7.10, we bring the doshi uh, out, which means the doshi does four bows, uh, a bell for each bow. Um, and the way we did it before, before COVID, was one bow to the altar, and then you step back a little to the side, and another bow to the altar, one bow at the doorway, you go a little further, you turn around, and there's a fourth bow. But we've changed that now so that the second bow, the doshi walks over to the camera and bows to the folks on Zoom. And I really like that. I, I love to do that, in fact. I love to walk away from the camera knowing I bow to the folks on Zoom. It just makes me feel uh, really good. And um, it's really great when people bow back. And not everyone is set up to do that. But folks on Zoom, if you join us in the morning, if it's possible for you to have your camera on and have it positioned so the doshi can see you, so you can share that bow, that would be really nice. Number five, continual discovery. We will continue to find unexpected things as the seasons change. I'm wondering what's it going to be like when these birch trees here lose their leaves and we have kind of an unobstructed view of the lake. What is the serpentine sidewalk going to look like under the snow? What is the new gate going to look like under the snow? What's going to happen to the flute effect? Do you know about the flute effect? What that is, is, um, I think it's changing a little bit, but what it used to be is, Sometimes, when the windows were open in a certain configuration, the wind would come in off the lake 
and the building would make this sound like a flute. Have you ever heard that? Seems to happen particularly in the late afternoons. Just kind of wind whistling through and it changes, the tone changes. Comes in the windows in the um, porch out there and I noticed one time if I closed one of the windows in the Founders Hall, I could, I could end it. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's not that the building sounds like a flute. It's like the building becomes a flute. That's actually what's going on. And we've had people visit here who ask, where's that music coming from? Which is pretty cool. So um, I am wondering how that is going to change or if it's still going to be here. And I've heard it a little bit when we've had these windows open here in the Zendo, but it sounds a little different. So that's something I'm excited to watch. Uh, continual discovery. We will continue to discover things forever. We will never get to an unsurprising place here. Number six, displacement. Things are new. And although everyone, and I mean everyone, seems to love the new Zendo, there's also the feeling sometimes that things are so much different now. You know, the altar's on the north wall now instead of the south wall. I'm practicing in a mirror image Zendo. I don't always know where to turn, literally, like which way to turn after I bow. Um, and my world has been kind of uh, shaken up. And I know there is that feeling of displacement sometimes. We're going to keep working on that and keep working on our forms. It'll come back to where we don't uh, feel displaced. But I think the thing to remember is that when we're sitting, which is the core thing that we do here, when we're sitting facing the wall, it really is no different. It is absolutely not different from what we did before. New Zendo, old Zendo, pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID, the sitting is just the same. So we have that resilience, we have that continuity. Number seven, three gates. We now have three gates or arches. And gates or arches, I think, are of great symbolic importance because they welcome you to a space they are a place to pause when you enter or leave a space. You can bow there if you wish. And I think that it reminds you that every step matters. And it marks off certain parts of the world. Now, I know the whole world is sacred space. I just you know, said that about the middle way room. But in setting aside certain places as being sort of especially sacred and protected, uh, it helps us to remind us to really be present. If we think of a space as a sacred space, if we bow when we enter it, uh, we'll be able to focus there, we'll really be at our best, and we can take some of that with us when we leave, when we bow as we leave. And it wasn't really planned that we would have three gates, uh, it just happened. We have the arch in the back, which I can see uh, right now, which was built, I think, probably when the house was built, around 1910. This is kind of a Mediterranean-style house, and there is this um, 
this arch there with some words on it that mean a uh, view of the lake. And for years it was kind of gray and crumbling and you can see the bricks underneath the plaster, but it's been redone and it's gleaming now and it's very welcoming. And the second gate is the one I mentioned that's right here leading into the Zendo that was made from the tree that stood over here. And you can enter that gate and bow into the Zendo. And the third gate is outdoors leading into our backyard. And I think probably everyone here has seen this. If you haven't looked at it close up, you should take a look because it's an amazing gate uh, made by our Sangha member, uh, Killian Clark, who uh, did a lot of preliminary work and then we had two days to erect it. And some of you were here and it was, it was wonderful. We had quite a crew, uh, two full days, a really beautiful process. And the result is just stunning. And it's almost finished. There's a little bit more stuff that needs to go on the roof. But it's uh, tree trunks, massive tree trunks sitting on boulders uh, with a roof uh, over it. And that gate is about refuge. Gates are about refuge. They signal here anyway that you're enter entering into this triple refuge of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha into the safe space of the backyard or the safe space of the Zendo. So this is refuge in the conventional sense. And here I'm echoing Pema Chodron. Uh, here I find refuge in the conventional sense. I find protection, I find comfort, I find support, I find love here. Also refuge in the unconventional sense. Uh, refuge in the unconventional sense is the refuge that comes when we take our understanding of impermanence deep into our bones and we know that ultimately there is no place to stand. Impermanence is a fact. Impermanence cannot be avoided. And ultimately freedom lies in accepting that fact. Uh, not fighting against change. And that's the refuge of no refuge. And we come, when we come to a gate, an arch, an entrance, we can contemplate that. We can contemplate that as we bow. We enter into the protected space where we can support each other in knowing that true freedom lies in accepting that ultimately we are unprotected. Number eight, new forms and how we teach. And thank you to a priest in training uh, who told me how to talk about this and encouraged me to do it. Uh, we use traditional forms in our Zendo. We bow as we enter. We bow to our cushion. We all bow at the same time during service. Uh, we chant in the same way. And these things help us to be present, to let go of our preferences, not worry about what choice to make, and just go along and do the stuff. Just do the stuff and be present with the stuff. And now that we're in a larger Zendo, some of the forms are different. We have different entrance points. Uh, plus, all of us were gone from Zendo for a year and a half, and so naturally we're a little rusty. 
So you put together being a little rusty plus being in a new space and the forms are kind of, you know, they've gotten a little loose, you know, you could say a little lax. I don't really like the word lax because it sounds kind of judgmental. I mean, this, this is cool. I'm not being judgmental about this. Um, but it is helpful to have the forms uh, tighter because that helps us to all practice together. It helps us to kind of uh, really forget about things. Uh, but this is nothing to worry about, uh, especially in light of the way we teach forms. And um, this priest was reminding me, the way that we teach forms is a little different from the way that a lot of us are used to uh, learning, because basically we don't follow the conventional model of telling you in advance exactly what the forms are going to be, so you can memorize it and walk into the zendo and do all of the forms and get it perfect. Uh, I mean, sometimes we take that approach a little bit. You can take the forms in etiquette class, and that's an attempt to do that, and it's a good class. But basically, our method, if you show up some morning for meditation, is we ask you to join in and observe and participate until you get it. So the first time you come into the Zendo, you watch what other people do, and you do what they do. You probably won't get it right immediately. But if you come back and you keep watching, you'll get more and more of it. And pretty soon, you'll be fitting in with everyone else doing the same stuff at the same time. And it's harmonious. And you'll see someone new coming in and you'll feel very charitable toward them because that was you just a little bit, a little while ago. You feel very charitable and you're not thinking, oh, they're doing it wrong. And that's not what we think, you know, experienced people are not, oh no, they're doing it wrong. We're like, oh yeah, they're just like I was the first time. That's wonderful. That's, they'll get it. We don't need to correct them. We don't need to get uh, uh, uptight about this. So, uh, you know, we're pretty gentle about that. And this idea, I think, of not trying to prepare ahead of time and get everything perfect so that everything will be predictable, really kind of fits in with our practice. Because our practice, uh, our practice of right action in particular, is about um, being in a situation, seeing this, the immediacy of the situation, and responding, knowing what to do immediately. It's not about trying to anticipate every situation, so you'll be comfortable no matter what happens. It's really impossible. Life doesn't work that way. It's about being in a place of immediacy where you can respond to the situation uh, that comes up. So you come into the zendo, you see the situation, you do the stuff in the moment. We don't get uptight about it. I hope you don't get uptight about it. It's, it can be difficult for folks. Uh, sometimes People are afraid, they don't know us very well, and they're afraid they'll like violate some, some sacred law we have, you know, and, and we'll get upset about that. But we're not like that. We know that these forms are there to help us, you know, they're not ordained by some deity or something. Um, and also, um, for some folks, I think it's hard because they just really want to get everything right, you know, that that's very, very, very important. And I understand that, but here you don't really have that luxury if you're new to Zen 
of being right and being comfortable all the time. I'm sorry, but this is really about sort of being present with uh, discomfort. So, um, folks who come in for the first time put themselves in the position of being beginners, and it's kind of humbling, and that's okay. There's an acceptance of discomfort there uh, that is all right. And there are various ways that experienced people keep getting into those positions of discomfort too, like on a long retreat. It's unavoidable. It's okay. That's how we, that's how we learn. That's how we learn to be really effective in life. Are we going to try to control everything or are we going to be comfortable with lack of control? So, number nine, back to the building. We have a lot of things to do yet. Some of the parts of the building are kind of unfinished. Uh, completing the landscaping is a big project. It'll probably take us a few years to get that restored. Um, one thing we need to do is we need to build a shed somewhere in the yard because we demolished our garage, which was right here, in order to uh, build the Zendo. And we need a storage space for our lawnmower and our tools. And folks are really unanimous in saying they don't want a cheap little shed back there, a prefab shed. Uh, and I do think that we'll find something that's really solid and something that's uh, aesthetically pleasing. And actually, I have this idea. I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if we'll be able to afford it. But it would be lovely to have a shed that's just really aesthetically pleasing in a Japanese style that would fit in with the rest of our landscaping and just be really beautiful. Um, and we'll see. Um, the shed wasn't really part of the capital campaign uh, budget. Which brings me to number 10. I would be remiss if I did not mention that we're still accepting capital campaign uh, donations for finishing touches, uh, including landscaping and a shed. Whenever I get to this kind of a statement, I stop making eye contact with people because normally I make really good eye contact. But if I do this while I'm talking about money, you're going to think I got, he's talking to me. He's saying I didn't give enough. So I'm looking straight ahead here. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Um, the the song has been incredibly generous, really incredibly generous. But you know, if, if you didn't get a chance to contribute to the campaign, if you're kind of new we do still welcome donations, either large or small. Number 10, a quick tour of the basement. Uh, we have the activity room, which I don't know, we may just change the name of the sewing room because that seems to be what goes on there mostly. Uh, it's looking really good, uh, but a big portion of it is taken up with those tools that will eventually move into the shed. Uh, the new library, I think, is just beautiful and dazzling in its own way. I feel like we haven't even begun to realize the various uses for the, for the new library. Uh, the priest changing rooms are partially set up. We have three of them, male, female, and gender neutral, of course, because things are changing. Um, number 11, too much stuff. I mentioned this once before. So. Uh, in moving back in, we had to get take a lot of things out. We had to go through everything, the deep corners, crannies and everything. We found all of this stuff 
that's been here for so long. We found like amusing, bizarre, a lot of it useful, a lot of it really useless. And there was this kind of consternation about what to do with all these items. And there was a lot of energy to take care of them. And what we realized is that a really well-meaning person donates something to Zen Center on the off chance we'll be able to use it someday. And everybody says, well, it's a donation. We have to accept it. We don't know what we'll do with it. We'll just put it here and we'll see what happens. And it sits there for 20 years. I mean, literally. So thank you so much for donating that. But please, don't donate objects to MZMC unless you check at the office and see if there's something we could use. And at this time, we cannot accept any kind of sitting cushions, zafus, zabatons, support cushions, seiza benches. We have plenty of that stuff. So, Sorry, this is me being tough. I don't like it either, but i got to do it. Number 12, rain garden. I have an idea that the area north of the parking area here, which is now covered in mulch, would be a great place for a rain garden. If anyone knows of a rain garden expert who might donate some free advice, please let me know. Number 13, if anyone knows of an expert in Japanese garden design who might donate some free advice, please let me know. Number 14, the kitchen. In the kitchen, we removed the servants' stairs, which was the alternative way to get upstairs, and now we have more room in the kitchen. The thing about the servant stairs is it shows me how interesting habit energy is. Like every day, I still go heading up those stairs to find out they're not there. And I just wonder how long it's going to be, how many months it's going to be uh, before I kind of readjust my habit energy. Number 15, I want you to know an often overlooked benefit of the new construction, which is actually profoundly important is that we expect a total end to sewer backups in the basement. Hallelujah. <laughs> Number 16, I would like to reiterate, as long as COVID is a problem, we're going to keep the place well ventilated. We'll crack the windows at least, even in the winter, so please dress warm when you come to MZMC. Number 17, we are wheelchair accessible now. There is a place to park and a smooth sidewalk leading up to the back door, and there are handicap accessible bathrooms on the first floor. Please share that information with anyone who might be interested. Number 18, I've given so many tours of this building, and I really love to do that. And uh, some of the tours are for folks who are new, some of the tours are for uh, uh, donors, um, some of the tours are for people who have been practicing here for a long, long time. People who practiced here with Katagiri uh, as many as 45 years ago. And I love giving tours to those folks, and I feel a little trepidation. I feel almost like a child sometimes around these folks. Because compared to a lot of folks here, I've been here a long time. They say, how long have you been coming here? And I say, 28 years. And they go, wow, that's a long time. But when I'm around somebody who's been coming here 45 years, they've been part of this group 49 years, and there are such people, um, I just feel like, wow, I'm such, a, I'm such a newcomer. And it's really odd. I mean, ostensibly, I'm in charge of the place, right? But when I'm around these long-term practitioners, it's so clear 
that I'm just a steward of something that is so much larger than me and so much larger than our present sangha and so much larger than any individual point in time or any single challenge or any single crisis. I'm not in charge of the place. The place is in charge of me. And that's as it should be. And I want to tell you, one of the most wonderful things about this whole process is that when I talk to some of these folks who were here with Katagiri years ago, they seem to feel really good about the changes. And they say, not in so many words, but this is what I'm, what I'm getting, is that they think we've done a pretty good job of staying true to the tradition here and the legacy. And this means so much coming from them. Number 19, and last. So, may we continue to care for this place. May we take great care, looking toward the future, honoring the past, being good stewards, keeping the building and the Dharma solid and authentic and true, practicing that persistent, quiet, middle way, paying attention to each and everything, from changing the light bulbs to sitting a seven-day session. May this place endure and be a center of the authentic Dharma for a thousand years. Thank you. And those are the 19 things. <laughs>